Namaste and welcome to another edition of the Bharat Varta Weekly. We bring you the news and views of the week that was, what was important, what made news, and what you should care about. I'm Roshan Karyapa, and I have with me Nirav Kanodra and Abhishek Paul here to run you through all that happened last week. And it was quite an eventful week, I should say. There was this uh, BBC documentary on Prime Minister Modi that was released. Uh, of course, the Davos summit is happening. Then we have updates from the Hockey World Cup. And in other sports news, unfortunately, there have been some protests and some controversy in the Wrestling Federation of India. And uh, yeah, the tech layoffs uh, continue and there were some rather controversial comments by the former RBI governor, Raghuram Rajan. All of this and more in this edition of The Weekly. If you're joining us for the first time, do follow us for more content on policy, politics and culture. We bring you a couple of episodes or more every week. If you're a returning visitor, don't forget to rate and review us so more people can discover us and follow our content. All right, with that out of the way, Nirav, Abhishek, what do you guys think about uh, the episode we put out last week with Ashish Chandorkar and Suraj Sudhir on their new book, Braving a Viral Storm? Abhishek? Yeah, so I've been reading the book as well along the last week. So, yeah, as usual, great episode uh, and great to hear from both the authors of the book, right? This is obviously a very interesting story. They have told about how India vaccinated about uh, 2 billion plus doses, right? In just about a couple of years. And there were so many twists and turns along the way, right? Whether it is challenges with regard to getting the domestic vaccines approved or pressure from uh, foreign vaccine manufacturers in between we had big second wave and so on so yeah always uh, interesting to get a in-depth look at uh, what goes on behind the headlines so to speak so yeah it was a great episode i think i echo abhishek's thoughts yeah basically the whole journey and this is kind of saying like about india's state capacity and india's uh, ability to be resilient like you had a big shock of covid you had the second wave which was very brutal in between the whole thing in between like so there's one thing about like the vaccines and not bowing to like external pressure uh, and one thing to be able to manufacture domestically even if technology for astrazeneca was from abroad and uh, second thing was a uh, delivery distribution all of that right so i think all these things are incremental steps in our improving state capacity and hopefully this example of this better state capacity helps us in executing any sort of projects or anything more down the line. Yeah, it was such a wonderful conversation really because I think the last two or three years have been a blur. <laughs> We've gone through so much and, uh, you know, reliving some of those moments uh, really brought back all of the challenges, right? And for me, I mean, a few things that stood out was our strategy in terms of procurement, we ended up spending about 45,000 crores in total, at least up until July of uh, last year for all of the vaccines, right? And we did two point something billion vaccine doses, uh, which was remarkable considering, you know, the amount of money that some of the more developed countries spent. Then all of the logistics and everything, right? I mean, how various uh, mechanisms came together, the state in different uh, parts of the country. Right. And, and finally, I mean, the effort of uh, perhaps the common people, the scientists, the businessmen who took on those risks uh, and, and many of whom we lost as well. Right. So really terrible, but uh, really uh, left me with a sense of gratitude and a sense of pride for the fact that I'm a, an Indian. Right. And um, irrespective of what side of the political aisle you belong, I think it's it's just only fair to 
recognize the tremendous leadership of uh, prime minister modi under these circumstances uh, right so yeah if you haven't listened to that uh, podcast uh, then definitely do follow it uh, and vanchu well, pandavya <laughs> of course of course the health minister as well uh, who's incidentally written the foreword of the book right so yeah uh, definitely check out that podcast very very uh, interesting conversation with ashish and sudhir all right moving on uh, on tuesday the bbc aired a documentary india the modi question which it claims is an investigative piece on the role of prime minister narendra modi in the 2002 gujarat riots the documentary pushes the narrative that mr modi enabled the riots to become the prime minister in 2014 india's foreign ministry spokesperson arindam bakchi strongly criticized the film he termed this as a propaganda piece based on discredited evidence and said that it represents a colonial mindset nirav um, the timing seems odd i mean it was recorded a while yeah, yeah. back what do you make of it okay so obviously i think all of these events happened after 26th of jan 2002 right uh, 21 years later uh, what's the sudden interest to play out any event which happened so far ago so long ago and it's not as if the people who have like they've kind of they've not been in the public eye or whatever right so uh, that is one thing so obviously this is something which has probably some sort of an agenda looking at like say 2024 elections etc so i think that is one it's not as if this event happened and it took them 21 years to make this documentary two is uh, they claim that the riots so basically they what was basically set of like riots which started when some people burnt a train and 60 people were killed they claim at the start that a fire on a train they don't say that who caused the fire led to riots right and so when you start off with like kind of half truth if not a lie i think that kind of discredits rest of the story altogether as well right so this is what i felt personally second thing is this matter has been played on in india you've got supreme court kind of ruling over it in 2013 you had a upa government in the center from 2004 to 14 and uh, they tried their best uh, if not anything for like political gains in gujarat and the people of gujarat have repeatedly voted the bjp government in power modi has won two elections right so i think people are not stupid uh, second thing is you think about it this way like people in india don't need to be told by uk or by bbc what's happening in india right that has already been covered everybody knows about whatever has happened in 2002 itself right so now second thing is this is where probably india lacks or indian media lacks we don't have like sadly doordarshan is very badly managed or it's not as good quality of production like how say for example an al jazeera or like a russia today etc right or like a bbc uh, they are commenting on a third country and like selling it to others right so the audience may not be like india but they are trying to discredit india at the time at the time when indian economy has come out quite well from covid a lot of people are saying invest in india one of the countries as like a china plus one strategy india is trying to attract a lot of investment via pli schemes right all of these things so when you're seeing this kind of going positive in india's direction you deliberately throw like a spanner in the works and try and use your influence on like global media to try and turn attention uh, wrong somewhere so either they have like a political agenda bbc either they are trying to move away like the public perception 
So your target audience is probably like a Western CEO who's thinking, should I move my supply chains out of China to India or Vietnam or Indonesia or wherever? So do you want to like kind of remove India from that reckoning, et cetera, et cetera, right? So those things have to be questioned, but I don't have the answers. And then finally, I want to say this. In the British Parliament, a Labour MP, Imran Hussain, kind of made his accusation to Rishi Sunak, uh, the Prime Minister, that did the Foreign Office know about this in act of ethnic cleansing? So if there has been no ethnic cleansing, it's not ethnic cleansing has happened in India and that was in Kashmir, right? Uh, in Gujarat, there are Muslims who still live there. There has been no other sort of riots or there's no violence against any minorities in a coordinated manner, right? Uh, so that has not really happened. Indian Muslim population hasn't fallen, right? So there's no such thing. Anyways, Rishi Sunak replied saying that Britain would not support persecution anywhere and they do not agree with this characterization of uh, Prime Minister Modi, right? So I think that was like a very straightforward, clear-cut answer uh, which Rishi Sunak gave in the British Parliament and closed the chapter then and there itself. But basically, what I feel is this is not a matter to be discussed in British Parliament. In Indian Parliament, we don't discuss uh, the act on Jan 6th in the US Capitol, right? Storming of the US Capitol. That's not for us. That's not for India to discuss. That's US's internal matter, right? So similarly, I think unless there was any involvement of UK or UK nationals, etc., etc., that is none of UK's business. Uh, at least not the UK Parliament's business. BBC is a global media company. They can choose to cover whatever they want to cover. They have their own biases. People need to filter that. But what I feel is, once you start giving out some biased reports on certain things, right? And that makes you question anything else that they cover as well. So I feel like a lot of legacy media houses, they kind of take their privileged position for granted. But now that's what they're losing out to alternative media just because of these kind of things. So that's all what I have to say. And I think for an ordinary Indian, this shouldn't really matter, right? Nobody's going to change their opinion based on this document. If you had like a strong opinion earlier, you probably continue holding on to that opinion, whichever side of the spectrum you are. Yeah, no, I quite agree. But uh, one point of difference is, look, the BBC is funded by the British taxpayers, right? So obviously they have a responsibility towards the government. So something like this, I would kind of think of it as a, like a diplomatic aggression, or if not aggression, at least an indiscretion, right? So I don't think it should be treated as just a stray media outlet doing some investigative or supposed no, investigative agreed, reporting. In, if India wants to, if India can choose to stop like BBC telecast or like block BBC website from India, I think India has like a huge number of internet users. A lot of the advertising revenue, at least on their websites, etc., <laughs> is a good chunk of it is also derived from India. So if Indian government chooses to do that, that's perfectly fine. I think, but that would like kind of, in my opinion, maybe make India look petty or Indian government look petty. The opposite of love is not hate. It's, it's like ignorance. So just kind of ignore it and then move on. Lastly, lastly, I, I forgot this point. Jack Straw, who's been interviewed in all of this uh, BBC documentary, right? Only time I remember him previously was when he had a documentary about like Iraq and weapons of mass destruction. They weren't found either. So like here, when your person with this kind of credibility comes in, I don't know how do you kind of like give any weightage to whatever else that they say. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, I mean, I think uh, Lord Rami Ranger, uh, a member of the House of Lords, uh, also tweeted uh, saying that BBC News, you've caused a great deal of hurt to over a billion Indians. It insults a democratically elected 
Prime Minister, uh, the Indian police and Indian judiciary. We condemn the riots and loss of life and also condemn your biased reporting. Well, moving on, uh, fears of recession continue to rock the tech world as giants lay off thousands of people. Uh, Google joined a host of other tech companies, scaling back their workforce significantly. Uh, in the latest wave from this month alone, Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, and Google's layoffs will result in nearly 50,000 job losses across the world. The last wave was in November of 2022 with Meta and Twitter cutting thousands from their workforce. Abhishek, do you think this will continue? Yeah, I sadly think so. I mean, I do know of other companies who are going to follow suit in the next two couple of weeks, I suppose. So, yeah, I mean, things are not great right now in the external world out there, right? So, for example, just uh, in 2022, uh, the top 10 uh, biggest tech stocks in the US lost a market cap of $4.6 trillion, right? Like, ultimately, tech CEOs are judged by their uh, uh, performance in the markets, right? And when you have a market capital erosion of $4.6 trillion in a year, uh, they are bound to take actions, right, to protect shareholder interests. And uh, as you said, uh, we, uh, there have been losses of about 50,000 or 70,000 as per some reports, right? So I was just going through Sundar Pichai's uh, memo that he sent, I think, last night, right? Uh, and he's talked about all these external challenges that companies like Google are facing. And, you know, we were discussing, I think, a week or a couple of weeks back about the global economic situation. And it all sort of stems from that, right? That is global uh, inflation that is causing interest rates to rise interest rates rising means stocks are becoming less you know attractive and so on right so it's like a vicious cycle and tech stocks are sort of caught up in this it is not necessarily that their operational performances have gone down that much right it is more of a perception issue that they have to face given the you know stock market challenges there's also obviously another sort of paradigm uh, to it and that is the whole efficiency question, right? Which, for example, Elon Musk is uh, working on right now to prove, right? He sort of let go 80% of uh, employees at Twitter by now. The site is still running all right, right? And so that is the other sort of dimension to this whole debate of whether technology companies are or have become overstaffed and have carrying a lot of flab uh, in the last uh, decade, right? And so tech CEOs also have to answer on that question, right? And uh, demonstrate that their uh, companies are run efficiently. And so I think uh, with the overall sort of dire macro situation, I mean, there's also one more, uh, uh, angle to it, I think, which uh, Satya Nadella mentioned in his uh, remarks, right, at Davos, which is that, you know, the pandemic saw an acceleration of spending in the digital areas, right, but that spending is also sort of getting rationalized now, right, by firms. And we, we are also seeing a sort of uh, decline in uh, digital ad spends, right, by, you know, various firms. And so, 
that is also sort of playing into it um, and so yeah i think uh, 2023 is probably going to see a lot of challenges for uh, tech firms as they sort of try to navigate this very um, let's say difficult uh, macroeconomic situation yeah i think if you look at the last 3 or 4 years whether it's amazon google meta um you know and the likes right they've all been increasing headcount by 20 30% perhaps even more in fact on a yearly basis right now if you do that you're bound to double in size in about 2 to 4 years uh and this is notwithstanding amazon's two pizza rule right that every every team must be just big enough that two pizzas can you know uh, adequately satiate the team uh so in the normal course of things you hope that you know the churn on a yearly basis will sort of right size the company but what's happened over the last 3 4 years is i don't think that has happened either right uh, for whatever reasons call it uh, you know a little more leniency a little more lackne- la- laxness in the you know uh, whole uh, quality or uh, hiring practices uh, retention practices etc and this whole rest and west culture has become really pre- you know prevalent in big tech right i mean i hear very anecdotally from people who are there in it for you know the you know the the perks which which could be like you know office lunches and uh, you know daycare and so on and so forth right pretty much that um and you know if you're going to be hiring at such a furious pace you're going to be adding a lot of people who are you know maybe a year in the company right and that i think induces a tremendous amount of pressure in terms of training these folks getting them you know into the groove of things even if these folks are you know mid to senior level folks right i mean people normally take about 3 months at least to ramp right irrespective of how efficient your onboarding process is and so on so i think given all of these things uh, the the macro situation is a perfect foil right i mean look at the amount of uh, uh, you know market cap these folks have lost right 70 80% over the last year or so uh, so i think the slowdown and uh, you know the this the macro situation has forced their hand uh, finally right and has gotten big tech to sort of cut the flab as uh, you mentioned abhishek yeah i mean one other thing which sundar pichai mentioned is that they had been hiring for a different economic reality so uh, the economic reality has sort of caught up uh, with firms right which uh, were looking at let's say past uh, trend of you know incredible growth to continue which obviously you know we know that economics Uh, so it's all a very cyclical thing right you can have three four great years but then there will obviously be a correction that will follow as well right and so basically you could say that you know the economic realities have caught up with the kind of projections that people had been making yeah yeah what goes up must come down and you know vice versa moving on over the past week the world economic forum held its 53rd annual summit at davos several topics were discussed ranging from a call for unity and collaboration trade for resilience growth and climate action the global economic outlook and track tackling the climate uh, crisis nirav what were the you know highlights of the summit and could you also talk about the indian perspective yeah so see davos the world economic forum uh, now it's getting a lot of bad rep see this is like about maybe like about a few years ago that was like a peak globalization moment and uh, you had all the global elites uh, meeting at like one town in switzerland a ski resort right and uh, discussing about the world's problems i think one very big signal 
So President Joe Biden chose not to attend, right? Like previously Trump and like previous prime ministers, Obama, etc. were always going there. But this time Biden chose not to attend because it, it kind of signifies that elitist kind of a view, right? And like a few people talking big things, uh, nothing really changes. Uh, so that has been the criticism. The part about like the way it can be leveraged at Davos is you have a lot of these global elites coming in. So from Indian perspective, so India had uh, uh, like Invest in India forum over there. Maharashtra state has signed MOUs uh, with a lot of companies spanning electric vehicles, steel, infrastructure, etc. You had like the Maharashtra CM Eknath Shinde going there, right? India has been seen in a much better positive light right now uh, by most people apart from, we'll speak later, Raghuram Rajan, who kind of criticized India's growth, uh, saying 7% is not enough for India. But... Uh, uh, compared to like other countries, probably India has done reasonably well. Uh, there's a little bit of like focus on India as being like one of the growth engines, right? India has kind of benefited from the chaos, right? So that is one thing. And uh, like in terms of like other things, right? Like they're talking about the, there's been a, now in the last couple of years, there's been a little bit of pushback or like criticism of people at Davos that people are jet setting and uh, going in private jets to Switzerland, staying in like centrally heated hotels and uh, having huge energy footprint and telling the rest of the world to consume less, right? They're saying, telling the rest of the world that eat less uh, because climate change or eat less meat, for example, et cetera, et cetera, use less fertilizer. So that has been a little bit of a pushback this time, right? And uh, this is like a five-day event. So while a lot of, it, it's like a nice networking and a nice event for all the movers and shakers, if you can leverage it, right? So India has tried to keep an Invest in India uh, forum over there. So at the same time, try to get something. Uh, Maharashtra CM went that, though like the MOUs that have been signed, uh, I've been told are non-binding, right? But at least expression of interest. It's one place where you can try and get things done or start, get the ball rolling. But uh, to be fair, to have very high expectations of them actually implementing anything, is also difficult and uh, so yeah i think this is the first time the us president hasn't gone there right so it's kind of reducing the importance of this forum as well so yeah uh, that's also something to take note of yeah uh, but i thought the interesting most interesting comment was uh, the world economic forum chairman's right he said india is a bright spot amid the global crisis and uh, prime minister modi's leadership is critical in a fractured world um, i think that really means something Right. Um, all right, moving on. And in some unfortunate news, uh, prominent Indian wrestlers such as Vinesh Fogat, uh, Sakshi Malik, Sumit Malik and Bajrang Purnia have been protesting at New Delhi's Jantar Mantar for the third consecutive day on Friday. Vinesh Fogat alleged that the Wrestling, Wrestling Federation of India, WFI chief, Bridge Bhushan Sharan Singh, has been sexually exploiting women wrestlers for years. The wrestlers have also alleged that several coaches at the national camp in Lucknow have exploited women wrestlers. Union Sports Minister Anurag Thakur met the wrestlers on Thursday night and said that the allegations are serious and the government has already taken steps. Abhishek, this is pretty unfortunate, right? And wrestling is, uh, you know, a domain where India has done really well at the international level. Yeah, it's been a very unfortunate uh, sort of series of events. But of course, the allegations are about events that have happened quite a bit earlier. So just to recap, 
all of i would say almost all of india's leading wrestlers uh, started a protest earlier this week at jantar mantar uh, with uh, uh, major allegations against the wrestling india federation uh, chief uh, bridge bhushan sharan singh the allegations included allegations of sexual harassment uh, there were allegations of misuse of funds sponsorship funds that are not flowing down to the wrestlers there were allegations of mismanagement of the team holding uh, camps etc at the convenience of the wif chief rather than the wrestlers and so on and so basically uh, the picture that we got was that the wrestling india federation is basically in a very uh, terrible state of affairs uh, going on right now right and so this uh, person who is the uh, head of wif is a seven time mp six times from the bjp one time from the samajwadi party and he is looked at as a very sort of big strong man in the gonda area of uh, uttar pradesh uh, he basically tried to sort of dismiss all allegations because his point of view was that vinesh fogat who is like a former world championship medal winner uh, she was making allegations on behalf of other wrestlers so his point was where are the wrestlers who were actually alleged to have you know he's supposed to have alleged to have harassed and so on they are not coming out and so he was trying to brazen it out so the government after sort of waiting a while got into it i think they sent uh, the wrestler babita fogat she is a bjp uh, member she went first to sort of start negotiations on behalf of the government and later uh, i think the wrestlers uh, met various authorities including uh, anurag thakur who is the sports minister uh, i think there were one or two rounds of meeting in which the wrestlers were not satisfied with the assurances that things would be looked at but i think last night basically what happened is uh, the Uh, bridge bhushan sharan singh was asked to step aside for a month so that an independent uh, investigation and inquiry can be taken up by the committee so based on that the wrestlers have then decided to call off their protest because the wif chief is sort of stepping down and now we'll have to wait and see how the inquiry goes So yeah it's pretty unfortunate given all of India's top wrestlers of the of present and the recent past right they were all uh, in unison uh, protesting against these things Yeah I think uh, it's also part of a larger malaise with sports governance in India right I mean it's corrupt at every level really uh, and I think that's also because there is very low accountability you know uh, in this particular domain right i mean it's uh, seen as very discretionary i hope there's more professionalism uh, because india definitely has the talent right i mean we've seen our athletes uh, and sports people perform um, on the global stage and as nirav says uh, you know we should go from a sports watching country to a sports playing or participating country so these like associations are still run in uh, i would say century old fashion right of handouts and favors and you know run in a 
proper feudal way like this guy probably thinks of himself as a god in the wrestling arena right he sort of there are you know um, video footages you can see of you know he will go into a wrestling tournament and he will start telling the referees what to do he will uh, make sure random people win and lose he will slap random wrestlers who he thinks are not performing well and so that is the kind of sort of culture we are still stuck in like the professionalism that you see in uh, cricket is like long way away from how many of the olympic sports associations are run i mean we recently were uh, suspended by fifa right because of all the shenanigans happening on the football association so i mean you can also sort of see like the wrestling uh, wrestling is like a more of a rural dominated sport right and so while all and so all the things that are probably you know we are sort of stuck in a time warp i would just say right where people are behaving in in ways which are not appropriate uh, in today's day and age well referring to the recently released annual report by the world bank wherein experts predicted a global recession in 2023 former rbi governor and uh, mr rahul gandhi's recent friend raghuram rajan said that the argument that india will replace china is very premature at as india is a much smaller economy as of now he said this at a press briefing of the world economic forum you also added the situation may change in the future as india is already the fifth largest economy in the world and it can keep growing he further added that strong core inflation continues to remain a big concern for rbi nirav these comments are coming in at a time when inflation clocked in i think at 5.72% it's going to be around 5% by march right uh, and various sources have said that hey india seems to be a, a bright spot as i mentioned earlier right what do you make of this yeah so basically i'll tell you what if you wear red color glasses everything seems red if you wear blue colored glasses everything seems to be blue so raghuram rajan i think let me go through like a few comments which he made right so first comment he says that oh uh, india is growing at 7% but that's not good enough because india needs to grow more because we contracted during the pandemic so did the rest of the world right so you can choose to look at one good thing or like deliberately look at it in a wrong way inflation is a problem for india so is it for the rest of the world in india inflation peaked at 7 and a half now it's come down to below 6 core inflation is still sticky but that is also in the rest of the world in the us inflation was at 9 in uk it's 10 and a half europe it's 10% and then it has come down to like 7 right india has also done like a reasonably better job right everything could have been better if you you know if you had hindsight is 2020 then he says what's the point of india manufacturing assembling iphones if all the parts come from overseas at least it creates some amount of jobs which are not there previously right and think about china in the year 2000 maybe we are 20 years behind china china in the year 2000 was just assembling electronic components other components are being imported from korea taiwan southeast asia etc but then the ecosystem can only develop once you start something right so taking a step in the right direction you can always poo poo india cannot replace china but nobody saying india will replace china i agree totally china is 5x the size of india indian economy chinese manufacturing is 10x the size of indian economy but can india try and win 10% of china's manufacturing which doubles india's manufacturing output that is the step one aim right and when that happens more jobs are created they consume domestic services they consume other manufactured things which are manufactured locally 
right? Uh, India gets more leverage in the international arena when more supply chains route through India, right? Uh, then Indian security becomes very important. Skirmishes with China, skirmishes with Pakistan. If a lot of uh, US CEOs have capital investments in India, then they will be worried about their investment. So, you know, all these kind of things can play out. So, see, I feel uh, obviously Raghuram Rajan has a biased view, which is colored by his political lens. When finally coming to this, when he was asked by Rahul Kanwal about the old pension scheme being implemented in Himachal Pradesh. So he's giving a justification that oh, entitlement spendings are there everywhere and uh, BJP government gave free food and free this. And so the question is, yes, in a poor country, I agree that there have to be entitlement payments, but who is it going to? The government employees on an average are paid better than the private sector employees. Two, by in the new pension scheme, the contribution for pension is done today. And whatever is contributed from the government side and from the employee's pension contribution as invested, and then it is paid off at the end. And the old pension scheme, so this is defined contribution pension. A defined benefit pension is you get your defined, after retirement, you get 70% of your last drawn salary till you live. And then if you pass away, then your spouse gets half of that. And that is moving along uh, inflation. In cash accrual accounting, you only account for what are the pension payments being made today and everything else you've left it to the future. So what happens is suddenly you government feels, oh, I have surplus money right now. So that is a bad thing. And you leave a problem for some time in the future, 20, 30 years down the line. And who is benefiting? The government employees are benefiting. It is a small section of society. I feel if you think that the government employees are being paid less, then their pay scale should be revised, etc but not by this funny accounting and a person who probably works 30 or 35 years in a government job, if they live up to 80 or 90, they're drawing salary almost for another 30 years, right? So all of these kind of things are uh, maybe lead to fiscal ruin or as an economist, uh, you should be able to say that uh, this is not the right thing, irrespective of which political party does it. Montek Singh Aluwalia, on the other hand, he is a Congress member. He's been a Congress minister, held various ministries, right? He has criticized this. Despite being an actual Congress member, Raghuram Rajan says, oh, he's like not going to join any political party. He just went on Bharat Jodo Yatra because he agrees with those ideas with uh, Rahul Gandhi. And then lastly, he says that uh, characterization of Rahul Gandhi uh, as Papu is very unfortunate. He's like a smart young man. I have to disagree with that. Maybe smart, I don't know, but definitely he's not young. He's like 50. I think he's 52 or 53 now. He turns 53 this year. So uh, he's in the latter half of middle age, right? So at least that part I would disagree with. Uh, I don't know about the first part of the comment, right? I'm not qualified to make that. So I think this is very clearly uh, Raghuram Rajan. What he was is he's a professor of economics at University of Chicago. He's been previously the uh, research head at IMF right? And he's been a previous RBI governor. So instead of any of these hats, he's right now wearing a political hack hat. And I think hence, uh, all comments coming from him should be seen in that light. I think everything else you can list objectively list 20 things about India. I'm sure that seven, eight things are not good. They're not good enough. Probably 12 things are good. Now you can choose to focus on what you want to. Second thing, you look at rest of the world right now right now rest of the world out of 20 things maybe 15 things are bad five things are good right so india is kind of relatively outperforming 
can it be better definitely i i am unhappy with 7% growth as well i wanted to be 8 9% china was growing at 10 to 12% in the 2000s uh probably can that be achieved maybe maybe not uh, not with the kind of electoral politics that we have so i don't think it's a realistic expectation right so maybe we need to spend more on entitlement program maybe we need to so we need to be more redistributive rather than focus on growth uh to be politically relevant enough any party to come again so uh that can't be possible but can we do better definitely yes we can do better we have a lot more to catch up we are a poor country no doubt about it we are a lower middle income country we have a long way to go but now think on the path and the slope that we are going at right and uh, look at that and uh, be happy with it you can always criticize oh this is not done that is not done tomorrow i can criticize tsmc that oh it makes the best semiconductors but it has to import asml machines from netherlands what how bad is it right apple such a great company oh but its phones are manufactured in china not in the us oh it uses taiwanese uh, korean semiconductors to make it you can you can keep harping about that and uh, that just reduces your own stature in eyes of the people yeah no i mean perfectly summed up uh, nirav right and uh, it's it's just more politics than economics and by calling rahul gandhi young i think uh, you know mr raghuram rajan was kind of flattering himself also rahul gandhi is uh, 52 and Mr Rajan is 59 right so they're just about 7 years apart right so anyway moving on to some positive news uh, the hockey world cup has been going on in full swing with exciting matches all around after the win on the opening day of the tournament india had a tie with england on 15th with both the teams at zero but scored another win on 19th against wales with a 4-2 the latest matches on 20th saw germany win against korea belgium against japan australia against south africa and france tied argentina abhishek uh, have you been following the matches yeah i have checked out the india england one i was watching definitely it was a very exciting nil nil match to say, which is a surprising but that's how it was like both teams had a lot of chances but the goalkeepers played well there was some uh, inefficient finishing and all that but uh it was definitely a very exciting end to end match uh, so yeah right now we are now entering the knockout stages of the competition so india finished second in their group because england had a better goal difference right although both of them finished on the same number of points and so now the format of the tournament is a little different to how we've typically seen cricket or football tournaments so what happens is there are these four groups and the a top team in each group automatically qualifies into the quarter finals uh, the second and the third teams of each of the groups now has a sort of uh, run off or they they call it let's say the second round crossover match right and so india has to play new zealand which finished third in one of the groups right so Uh, once we win that crossover game and i think uh, india is definitely the favorites to defeat uh, new zealand then we enter the quarter finals proper and then there we will face the defending champions uh, belgium who topped their group uh, so yeah i think that match would be very interesting to see if india can actually advance into the semi finals So India last won the World Cup in and their only time they won the World Cup was in 1975 and since then India has not 
even reach the semi-finals once right so uh, reaching the semi-finals itself would be a very big thing uh, for india but it would be pretty challenging to defeat the defending champions uh, belgium i think australia uh, the netherlands and belgium are probably the three best teams in the tournament as of now so yeah it would be interesting to see if india can get past belgium and make the semis yeah all right um all the best to the indian team and we'll certainly follow their journey uh in more positive news on thursday prime minister modi uh, inaugurated two new mumbai metro lines 7 and 2a uh, that is dahisar to andheri east which is 18 kilometers and dahisar to dn nagar 18 kilometers as well uh, the prime minister traveled in the metro train between gundavali and mogra stations and interacted with a group of youngsters women and metro rail work- workers nirav again very positive news on the infrastructure front right Yeah, so this is like the most positive infra news for me personally. So Gundavali Station is like where near my parents live, right? So that's where I've grown up as well. That is like uh, this is adding infrastructure uh, to like a very congested area of Mumbai. It is in parallel with the current uh, Western Railway suburban line as well. So it takes off some load from there. Mumbai just had one uh, line, one which was operating, which runs east-west, and then there are there were six other lines in construction. So two and seven have started. uh you'll have line 3 starting uh hopefully this time next year uh, half of it and then 4 5 and 6 are also under construction at various stages so maybe they take 2 years so this is like a huge addition uh, to like a very crowded cramped city and uh, probably i was joking with someone one third of its it takes away from the suburban railway one third of its traffic is probably taking people away from roads to choose metro and one third is people who are not making trips or not going actually going and using so i think this is a very positive thing this spending on infra in big cities like mumbai bangalore delhi has already seen it is uh, the highest return on marginal spending because this frees up time frees up money effort energy for the most productive area of your economy right and then this can has a huge multiplier effect so i am very very uh, happy about it uh, mumbai has like a lot of infrastructure projects in the pipeline which hopefully come over the next 5 years they were stuck for a couple of years due to covid also due to bickering between the whole mva government etc uh, now with back with the shiv sena government with bjp uh, ekrat shinde is like again there's a renewed focus on infrastructure right so hopefully all these things pick up and we have like more and more of such updates uh from all over the country every week in bharat varta we should talk about like one new infra update one new inauguration yeah for sure i think in the initial days at least we used to cover infra a lot right and and somehow i mean uh, that focus got a little diluted i would say uh but but yeah for sure i mean i think we should also perhaps do a special episode on infra in the country itself uh, i remember the last episode we did was the indian bridge management system right which uh, came out a while back uh but yeah very good point uh, nirav and on that note we come to the end of the bharat vartha weekly thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, staying with us uh, up until now if you like the content don't forget to rate and review us it'll help more people discover this content also share it with your friends and family as well we have a couple of very good episodes coming up uh, this week we have a conversation with shashank mattu who li- writes for the live mint on geopolitics and so on uh, he also writes fabulous threads on twitter uh, very simplified 
uh, understanding of uh, you know geopolitics india's role in the world order and so on so catch that conversation he has spoken to sharan shetty and also we have a special republic day episode with shubendu and sarthak two young lawyers who talk about the constitution uh, its founding the significance and the relevance in uh, today's age right uh, again you know there's been a lot of back and forth on the on the judiciary and the executive we covered you know bunch of views on that as well so two fantastic episodes coming up i hope you like them and if you do don't forget to share them with your friends and family thank you again for joining us uh, so from abhishek nirav and myself we'll see you soon on another episode of the weekly stay safe take care and jai hind